Chapter Twenty of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Landing of the Foe. While Harold, with his army, had been anxiously and impatiently watching the sea on the southern coast of England, the mixed host of the Duke of Normandy had been no less anxiously awaiting a favourable breeze at the port where the whole of the expedition was gathered. William had, however, one great advantage. While Harold's army and navy were composed of levies, bound by feudal obligations to remain but a certain time under arms, and eager to return to their harvest operations, their wives and families, Williams was made up to a great extent of seasoned troops and professional soldiers, gathered not only from his own dominions, but from all parts of Europe. These were far more amenable to orders than were the English militia. Tempted by the thought of the plunder of England, they had enlisted under the Duke's banner for the expedition. They had no thought of returning home, and as long as they were well supplied with food, the delay in starting mattered comparatively little to them. And thus, while at length the fleet and army of Harold scattered to their homes, the Normans remained in their camp, ready to embark on board the ships as soon as a favourable wind blew. They were kept in good temper by receiving regular pay and provisions, and as all plundering was strictly forbidden, the country people freely brought in supplies, and for a month the great army was fed without difficulty. But as the resources of the country became exhausted, the Duke grew more and more anxious to move to another port, and taking advantage of a change of wind to the west, he embarked his army and sailed north along the coast of Normandy to the mouth of the Somme, and the troops disembarked and encamped round the town of saint valery Here was another long delay, and while Harold was marching north to meet the King of Norway, the Normans were praying for a favourable wind at the holy shrine at the Abbey of saint valery Two days after the host of Harold Harada had been destroyed, the wind suddenly shifted to the south. There had on the previous day been a great religious ceremony. The holy relics had been brought by the priests into the camp. The whole army had joined in a solemn service. Precious gifts had been offered at the shrine, and as the change of wind was naturally ascribed to the influence of the saint, the army was filled with enthusiasm, and believed that heaven had declared in their favour. From morning till night the scene of bustle and preparation went on and when darkness fell the whole host had embarked. Every ship was ordered to bear a light, and a huge lantern was hoisted at the masthead of Mora, the Duke's own ship, and orders were issued that all vessels should follow the light. The Mora, however, was a quick sailor, and was not, like the other vessels, deeply laden down with horses and men. When daylight broke, therefore, she had so far outstripped the rest that no other sail was in sight and she anchored until the fleet came up when the voyage was continued and at nine in the morning of thursday the twenty eighth of september the normans landed on english soil near the village of pevensey the landing was unopposed the housecarls were away north with their king the levies were scattered to their homes to the surprise of the normans who landed in battle array no armed man was to be seen Parties of mounted men at once examined the country for miles round, but without finding signs of the defending army they expected to meet. 
on the following morning a small force was left in the roman fortifications near pevensey to guard the ships hauled up on the beach from attack and the duke with his army marched away along the roman road to hastings where william established his headquarters and resolved to await the approach of the army of england a wooden castle was raised on the height and the country for miles round was harried by the norman horse every house was given to the flames men were slain women and children taken as slaves and the destruction was so complete that it seemed as if it had been done with the deliberate purpose of forcing harold to come down and give battle no sooner did harold hear the news that the normans had landed and were harrying the land than he ordered the hall to be cleared and issued a summons for the assembly of a gemot and in an hour an assemblage of all the thanes gathered at york was held in the hall that had so shortly before been the scene of peaceful feasting harold proclaimed to them the news he had heard and called upon them to arm and call together their levies for the defence of england an enthusiastic reply was given as the men of the south had crushed the invaders of the north so would the men of the north assist to repel the invasion of the south morcar and edwin promised solemnly to lead forces of northumbria and mercia to london without a day's delay and though harold trusted his brother-in-laws but little he hoped they would have to yield to the patriotic spirit of the thanes and to play their part as englishmen an hour later messengers started on horseback for the south bidding all men to assemble at london to fight for home and freedom against the foreign invader and orders were issued that troops who had fought at stamford bridge should march at daybreak as soon as the council was over wulf mounted his horse and rode at full speed to helmsley he had each day ridden over to see osgod who in his anxiety for a rapid cure was proving himself a most amenable patient and was strictly carrying out the prescriptions of the monk who had taken charge of him and of other wounded who were lying in the village he was asleep on a rough pallet when wulf entered a pest upon the norman he exclaimed angrily when he heard wulf's news he might have given me a week longer at any rate i am feeling mightily better already for to-day the monk has bandaged my arm and that so tight as almost to numb it but that i care little for as he has now taken off that bowstring which was cutting away into the flesh he told me that everything depended upon my keeping absolutely quiet for another week for the slightest exertion might make the wound break out afresh and that if it burst there would be but a poor chance for me well i must travel in a wagon instead of on horseback you will do nothing of the sort osgod i absolutely forbid it it would be an act of sheer madness besides you would be useless at present even if you went south while if you rest here for three or four weeks you may be able to take part in some of the battles and moreover it may be weeks before harold moves against the normans at any rate it is out of the question that you should move at present i am not going to have you risk your life by such folly osgod was silent for a minute or two and then said but never before did i feel it so hard a thing to do it is for your own good and mine osgod i am not going to lose so faithful a follower and would rather do without you for two months than for all my life but now i must be going for i shall ride on ahead so as to go down to staining and fetch our men i was before sorry that owing to my being here they did not come down with the king now i am glad for i might have lost half of them 
while as it is i shall have a hundred men as good as his own to help fill up the ranks of harold's housecarls besides the general levy of my tenants on his march south harold was joined by large numbers of men the news of the destruction of the army of harold harada had excited the greatest enthusiasm and the thanes presented themselves as a rule with more than the number of men they were bound to furnish wolf rode on fast to london as soon as he arrived there he went to the armourer's shop ulred paused at his work as he entered welcome back my lord wolf he said so you have come safe through the two great battles in the north as osgod fared equally well i see that you have come without him not equally well ulred he fought with me at fulford and received no serious hurt but at stamford bridge he was wounded so sorely that for a time we thought it would go hard with him but he has rallied and is doing well and save that he will come home without his left arm he will i trust soon be recovered no man fought more stoutly than he did at stamford bridge and the king himself noticed his valour although his wound was but five days old when we started he would have come south at once if i would have suffered him though he must assuredly have been carried the whole way in a litter it troubled him greatly to hear that we should be face to face with the normans and he not there to strike a blow for england i'm glad to hear that the boy lives the armourer said for indeed when i saw you alone my first thoughts were that he had fought his last battle we have terrible news from the south the normans are plundering and slaying from beachy head well nigh to dover and the people are flying before them in crowds however matters will be changed as soon as the king returns to town london will send her militia in full strength and we hear that the thanes of the west are hurrying hither it is a pity indeed that harold was drawn off north for had he been here the normans would have had to fight their best before they established themselves on our shores they could have landed in any case ulred it was not the king of norway and tostig but the impatience of our sailors and troops that left our shores unguarded harold tried his best to keep them together but in vain however they rallied quickly when they heard of the landing in the north and are coming in freely now will the troops of northumbria be here i doubt it greatly ulred they are not true men edwin and morcar they surrendered york before an arrow was shot against its walls and received harold hadrada as their king they would be equally willing to acknowledge william of normandy so that they might but preserve their earldoms under him they have promised to send their whole forces forward without delay but i have no belief that they will be here i am going to staining as soon as i have eaten a meal and rested for a few hours i shall miss osgod sorely i trust that it will not be long before i have him by my side when will the army be back here master in three days at most i imagine there will be but a short stay here before harold marches south to meet the normans the news of the wanton destruction they are making has roused him to fury and he will assuredly lose no time even though he have but half the force of england behind him it is as well to have something to fall back on the armourer said it is not by one battle that england is to be conquered and even if we lose the first we may gain the second we can stand the loss better than the normans for doubtless william has brought all his strength with him and if beaten must make his way back to his ships while harold would in a short time find himself at the head of a larger army than that with which he may first meet them was the slaughter as great as they say at stamford bridge 
it was terrible ulred and though the norsemen suffered vastly more than we did the ranks of the housecarls on whom the brunt of the fighting fell have been sorely thinned we shall feel their loss when we meet the normans against their heavily armed troops and their squadrons of knights and horsemen one of the thingmen was worth three untried peasants had we but half the number of our foe and that half all housecarls i should not for a moment doubt the issue london will put a strong body in the field and although we have not the training of the thingmen you may trust us to fight sternly master wolf and if we are beaten i will warrant there will not be many of us to bring the tidings back of that i am sure ulred the citizens have more to lose and better know what they are fighting for than the country levies and as you say i am sure they will do their part stoutly well i must stay here no longer i shall sleep for two or three hours and then take a fresh horse from the king's stable and to-morrow shall be at staining by nightfall i shall be on my way back with every man on the estate a hundred and fifty besides the housecarls and two days march will bring us here again ulf is well i hope i do not see him he has but carried home some arms i have been mending we are working night and day since the news that the normans had landed came there has been no thought of bed among the armourers and smiths of westminster and london each man works until he can work no longer then throws himself down for two or three hours sleep then wakes up to work again and so it will be till the army has moved south with most of us in its ranks wulf reached staining soon after daybreak and as soon as the news that he had arrived went round the tenants flocked in his coming had been anxiously expected for the alarm caused by the incursions all over the country by the norman horse was intense and although so far none had come west of beachy head there was a general feeling that at any moment they might make their appearance the news therefore that harold was marching south with his army and that all were to share in a pitched battle with the invader instead of being slaughtered on their hearthstones caused a deep feeling of satisfaction wulf gave orders that every man should assemble in fighting array at noon and that if later on news came that the enemy were approaching the houses were to be deserted the stacks fired and driving the cattle before them the women and children should cross the hills and take shelter in the great forest beyond a few of the older men who were unfit to take part in a long day's fighting were to aid the women in their work the arms of all the men were carefully inspected and the weapons remaining in the armory served out to those worst provided at one o'clock the force marched off wulf riding at the head of the hundred housecarls while the tenants a hundred and fifty strong followed in good order each man carried six days provisions they camped that night in a forest twenty miles from staining marched thirty miles the next day and early in the following morning joined the great array that was gathering on the hills south of london to his great pleasure wolf found that beorn had arrived the day before with his levy they had not met since they returned from the north with harold so you've been up there again wolf and fought at fulford and stamford bridge it was very unlucky i was not in london when the army marched north but i received no summons and heard nothing of it until the king was well on his march none of the thanes along the south coast were summoned so i heard beorn i fancied the king thought that in case of a landing by the normans the men near the coast would all be wanted to help take the women and cattle to places of security 
no doubt that was the reason beyond said at any rate i am sorry i missed the fight at stamford bridge the other seems to have been a bad affair very bad we suffered terribly so much so indeed that the earls will have a good excuse for not getting their levies together in time for the battle with the normans they are false loons beyond said and brothers-in-law as they are of his it would have been well had the king after stamford bridge had their heads smitten off for their traitorous surrender to the norsemen i have no doubt they will hold aloof now beyond until they see how matters go in the south and if we are worsted they will hasten to make their peace with william and to swear to be his liege men just as they swore to be liege men to harold hadrada but they will find out their mistake in the end william has promised to divide england among his needy adventurers if he wins and edwin and morcar will very speedily find that they will not in that case be allowed to keep half the country as their share it was a great host that was gathered ready for the march south gurth had brought down the fighting men of east anglia the thanes of the west were there with their tenants the bishop of winchester harold's uncle not only brought the tenants of the church lands but he himself with twelve of his monks had put on armour under their monkish robes the abbot of peterborough headed a contingent from the fen country the men of london under the sheriff of the mid saxons were there and prepared to die in defence of the royal standard which it was a special privilege of london to guard in the abbey of westminster where harold had received his crown and in every church of london mass was celebrated day and night and was attended by crowds of troops and citizens harold himself snatched a day from the cares of preparation to visit waltham the abbey that he had founded and in which he had taken so lively an interest and there earnestly prayed for victory with the vow that did he conquer in the strife he would regard himself as god's ransomed servant and would throughout his life specially devote himself to his service a day or two after wolf's arrival in london a messenger came from william of normandy calling upon harold to come down from his throne and to become as he had sworn to be the duke's man harold in reply sent back a full answer to william's claims he admitted that edward had promised the crown to william but he said that according to the law of england a man might at any time revoke his will and this edward had done and he had named him as his successor as to the oath he himself had sworn he maintained that it was an extorted oath and therefore of no binding force finally he offered rich gifts to william if he would depart quietly but added that if he was bent on war he would meet him in a battle on the coming saturday it is probable that william's insolent message was meant to have the effect of inducing harold to march against him the norman position was a very strong one and had been carefully fortified and he hoped that harold would attempt to storm it gurth urged his brother to remain in london while he himself went with the army to battle a large number of the levies has as yet not come in and with these should the first battle be unsuccessful another army could be gathered to continue the struggle moreover whether the oath harold had sworn was binding or not he had sworn and it were better than another who was perfectly free in his conscience should lead the english to battle then too gurth urged if he himself was slain it would matter comparatively little while harold's death would jeopardize the whole kingdom he prayed him therefore to stay in london and to gather another and greater force and to lay waste the whole land between london and the coast 
so that the Normans, whether successful or not in their first battle, will be starved into a departure from the land. The Council of Girth was approved by the thanes, but Harold rejected it. He declared that he would never let his brothers and friends go forth to danger on his behalf, while he himself drew back from facing it. Neither could he bring himself to harm the lands or goods of any Englishman. For six days Harold remained in London waiting, but in vain, for the forces from the north to join him, and on the Thursday morning set out with his army in order to meet the invaders on the day he had named. Accounts differ very widely as to the strength of that army. Norman writers, in order to glorify their own victory, speak of it as one of prodigious numbers. English writers, on the other hand, endeavour to explain the defeat by minimising the number of those who followed Harold's standard. Doubtless the English king, knowing the proved valour of his housecarls, and fresh from the crushing defeat inflicted on the Norsemen, considered the numbers to be sufficient. His military genius was unquestionable, and next only to William the Norman he was regarded as the greatest general in Europe. As there was no occasion for haste, so long as the Normans remained at Hastings, he would not have moved forward with a force that he deemed insufficient, when he knew that in another week its numbers would have been doubled. On the day that the king made his last visit to Waltham, Wolf rode over to Croydon in compliance with an entreaty he received for Edith. "'When does the army march?' she asked anxiously as he entered. "'The day after tomorrow, lady.' "'And my lord goes with it?' "'He does. I myself think that Gurth's counsel was good, and that it were best for England that he remained at Westminster, and yet I can understand well that he himself would feel it a shame did he remain behind.' "'I feel sore misgivings,' Edith said, bursting into tears. When he marched north against the King of Norway and Tostig, I felt no doubt he would return victorious. But night after night I have had evil dreams, and though I pray continually, my spirit has no relief. I have never feared for him before. I have always felt sure that whoever died, Harold would be spared for the sake of England. But I have no such feeling now. It seems to me that I sacrificed him and myself in vain when I bade him leave me, and marry the sister of the northern earls. No good has come of it. They are behaving now as traitors, and he has lost his life's happiness, and yet I did it for the best. It was a noble sacrifice, lady, and come what may you have no cause to regret it. The queen is not with him, Edith said bitterly. No, she is at Oxford. You must not think, lady, that the king has been unhappy since he came to the throne. He has been so incessantly occupied with work that he has had no time for domestic happiness, even if it had been within his reach. His thoughts are ever on England, and he has no thought of self. Labouring ever for the good of his subjects, he has his happiness alike in their love and in the knowledge that he is doing all that man can for their welfare. If he dies, he will die the death not only of a soldier, but of the noblest king that ever sat on the English throne and at all times he will be enshrined in the hearts of the English people, whether Normans or Englishmen reign over the land. That is true, and I must take comfort from it, Wolf, but it was not for this that I sent for you, but to ask you where the battle is likely to be fought. Near Hastings, assuredly, Wolf replied. I shall travel south to-morrow. I have had a message from the King praying me to see him, but that would be too much for me. He is another woman's husband, and I dare not meet him. It were a sin for me to do so, 
but i would fain be nearer to the scene of the battle so that in a few hours i might journey there in order that if my lord dies i might see him once again i know the superior of a convent at lewis and there i will betake myself thence as i believe it it is some sixteen miles to hastings and so far as i have heard the norman plunderers have not gone so far west should aught happen to him will you send a speedy messenger to me should i live through the fight i will do so lady but even should i not return the news will travel swiftly but god forfend that so great a loss should fall upon england amen edith murmured and yet i fear thanks wolf for coming perchance we may not meet again i am thinking of entering a convent probably that at lewis the struggle and pain here is well nigh too great for me but in the walls of a cloister i may find peace if my fears are fulfilled i shall assuredly do this and when i return to the convent i shall leave it no more my life is over i have a happy past to look back upon in that i am blessed and i shall be happier than those who have no such consolation moreover i can still be proud of harold and may love him as i might love the memory of a husband who is lost god bless you wolf and protect you through the coming battle wolf rode sadly back to the camp although he had denied it to edith he could but not admit to himself that the sacrifice that she and harold had made had so far been unavailing it had failed to draw the northern earls closer to the king the marriage had been productive of no happiness to harold and the only reward he had gained had been in the sympathy of the people who knew well enough that he had sacrificed his love for the good of his country the army marched rapidly Bion and wolf rode together and talked over the chances of the coming battle i cannot blame harold for not remaining behind wolf said though it was certainly more politic for him to have stayed in london as he could not do so i think it would have been well had he bidden gurth remain behind to gather another army with which to meet the normans should we be defeated or if he could not spare gurth he might have left leofric behind it is assuredly a mistake for the three brothers all to come for should all fall england would no longer have a head surely no such misfortune will befall us wolf i know not they will fight side by side and should one fall all may perish together one at least ought to remain behind it matters not how many of us are killed so that one of godwin's sons is left to rally the kingdom you may be sure that if we are conquered the victors will be in but poor condition to meet another foe but if there is no one to gather an army and unite all england against the normans they will eat us up piecemeal we must not think of so terrible a thing wolf it is not like you to look at the dark side why when we were in wales and as bad a plight as could well be you always made light of danger and managed affairs as if we were certain to succeed why should we be defeated why should the king be killed he went through the terrible fight at stamford bridge without a scratch we have seen the normans at work and know that they are not such terrible fellows as for their duke I would assuredly rather meet him in battle, doughty as he may be, than a faced Harold Hadrada with his two-handed sword. I have every hope of winning the day beyond, but still I do regret much that Gurth and Leofric are both here. Do you remember that in Wales we agreed that it was always well to have a way of retreat in case of defeat? Well, I feel that defeat this time will mean not only the defeat of an army, but the ruin of England. 
on friday afternoon the army reached rising ground near the village of senlac which harold had beforehand fixed upon as the place where he would give battle to the invaders kent and sussex he knew well they had been the home of his family and he owned vast estates there doubtless in the long weeks of waiting for the coming of the norman fleet he had fixed upon this spot as one well suited for a battle it was necessary that the english should fight on the defensive the normans were strong in cavalry while the english were unaccustomed to fight on horseback and would have been at a grievous disadvantage had they attacked the enemy the hill offered many advantages to a force standing on the defensive the great eastern road passed close to its foot and its possession barred the passage of the invaders in that direction the ground between it and the sea was marshy and broken and its occupation by an english force left the normans no choice but to come out and attack them the sides were steep and the ground rose rapidly in the rear so that the norman cavalry could not attack from behind it was indeed a sort of peninsula running southward from the main range of hills the moment the troops reached the ground the royal standard was planted and the men set to work to fell trees and to form a triple palisade along the accessible side of the hills the force at harold's command must have been far nearer to the estimate given of its strength by the english chroniclers than by the normans for the space occupied was insufficient for the standing room of such an army as that enumerated by the latter writers harold relied almost entirely upon the housecarls the levies might be brave but they were undisciplined and might easily be thrown into disorder they would too be impatient under the trial of a long day's battle it is even said that he sent away some of the ill-armed levies who came flocking in from the country round eager to revenge the injuries received at the hands of the normans it was upon the shield wall the favourite formation of the english that he relied to win the battle it was their national mode of fighting it was that in which alfred had led the saxons to victory over the danes it was that in which they clashed against the shield wall of norway and shattered it and he might well hope that the barons of normandy and the adventurers from all parts of europe who fought under william's banner might well try in vain to break it in the evening a messenger arrived from william again bidding harold to resign the kingdom or meet the duke in single combat the crown of england to be the prize of the victor harold refused the challenge he had proved his personal courage too often for it to be supposed that he declined from any feeling of cowardice but he knew well that the issue could not be thus decided were he to fall the people would still refuse to accept william as their king were william to fall the host that had gathered for the plunder of england would still give battle nothing was therefore to be gained by the proposed combat End of chapter twenty